We're in a series on the religions of others. Tonight, we're going to take a little bit of a break from that. We're still talking about other religions, but rather than presenting a religion, we're going to take a break. Let me show you where we've been. We've covered Scientology, Judaism, and Christian science the last couple of weeks. If you remember, the purpose of our conversation was so many of us are ignorant of what others believe. We can't enter into conversations with people, just conversations about their beliefs because we're wholly ignorant of what it is that they do believe. So we decided that we would take time out and spend a week just learning the basics. And it's been very challenging to cram into one night the basics of an entire worldview, an entire world religion. And the last three weeks have been very academic and heady for some of you because it's less interactive. This group, as you know, is interactive. You means you stop anytime, raise your hand, interrupt, disagree. We're here to wrestle and work out our faith together. So tonight we're going to take a pause and interact a little bit. Next week we're doing Islam, by the way. We're bringing in somebody to talk to us about Islam. Then we're going to do Hinduism, which Jeremy's going to present, followed by probably another week on Buddhism. We might take another break after that and maybe cover a couple more religions. Because a lot of you have asked, like, can we do Kabbalah? Can we do Wicca? Can we do some of these other religions? Sure, it's up to you and your patience. We might have to take a break because, as I said, it gets a little tiresome trying to cram so much information into these nights. What are we doing tonight? The question I want to wrestle with tonight is, how do other religions originate? It's a fair question if we're going to be tackling other religions, because some of us have a summary answer, and maybe it'll come out tonight. But I want to know from you. We sent an email earlier this week to you just throwing this question out for you to think about. Where do other religions originate? Anyone want to throw out a guess up front? What your idea is, where they come from? Phillips accused me in the past of asking an open-ended question that's backed up by hours of research. And then as soon as you guys all share your views, then I go into the explanation. And what did you say? I was like trying to make us look stupid, right? Trying to bait you into answering this age-old question. Yeah? Uh, they feel they need to change the world around them so they create a structured system to change the world for the better or for the worse. Yeah, does anybody actually think, let's just get some basics out of the way. How many people believe that people wake up and think, you know, it'd be great to just do something new and confuse everyone? How many people are in that camp? One? Two? I don't think there's one like reason because I think like as was pointed out like it's there's different reasons for different religions. I mean like some of them are for power, some probably just straight for money. I mean some I might even go as far as to say the devil just wanted to confuse people and so figured he'd spur someone on towards some idea. And other people were just trying to discover truth, and they sort of like missed the idea somewhere along the way, you know? Like Okay. Fair enough. Anyone else? I was just gonna say if I'm a king, I can be killed. If I'm a god, I'm invincible. Okay, so maybe that's a reason. I'm going to break up the answer to two camps because this question has been debated, as you might imagine. And the church has its answer. Sometimes the answer is a little short, you know, like the devil made him do it. That's it. That's all we're going to believe. So let's look at a couple of them and see. First, there's the subjective theory. Now, I know this is going to sound heady because I put the word theory up there. So I've put a parenthetical for those of you who don't want to think tonight. So all you have to do is look at the parenthetical for those of you. It just says it's all psychology, basically. So you just focus on those words. All right? There's the subjective theory. These are under the category of naturalistic 
philosophies, meaning forget any kind of theology here. These are people who don't believe there's any kind of God. We're looking for a naturalistic explanation. Because even people who don't believe in any kind of supreme or supernatural being notice through anthropology and all through history, as Ashley pointed out, that it seems that no matter what kind of community you look at, people have this need to discover something greater than themselves. So they're trying to figure out if they don't believe that there is a God, why would every single community that we've studied have this kind of need? So the first naturalistic explanation is it's all psychological. That's the subjective theory. So we have this psycho psychological need inside of us. People break into different camps as to why. Some people say that because humans were always dependent in some kind of way on something beyond themselves, they started to create the idea of a God that was out there. Other people believe that maybe they were trying to idealize behavior, so they created an idealistic version of themselves, meaning that if they do wrong things, maybe there's a being out there that does no wrong, and that's what they started to worship after a while, kind of what they'd like to be. Other people just said that it came from our whole idea of a father figure. You know, since we're dependent as children and we look up to our fathers, they've done all sorts of research where they've asked children, for example, they do this thing called the cracker box, where they take a box of crackers and they ask a child who's four years old, what do you think is inside the box? And the kid says, crackers. Then they open up the box and they look inside and it's actually stones or marbles. And then they ask the kid, if we asked your mom what was in the box, what would she say? And the kids always inevitably say, she'd know there were marbles inside. Now, that evidence has been used and those kinds of experiments have been used to try to show that from a young age, we seem to be impressionable thinking that parents have some sort of supreme knowledge. And maybe that's where we got the idea of God. Anyone want to poke holes in that? What's wrong with this theory? What's wrong with just saying that we have a psychological need for God? Well, there's still, like, what, why do we have a psychological need for God? It just seems sort of bizarre to randomly have that. Yeah, that's actually the best critique, is that it doesn't explain where it comes from. It just replaces one thing and says, it doesn't actually talk about causation, in other words. So there's a psychological need from God, but where did we get that? Because as far back as you go, this need seems to exist. By the way, that's not my critique of it. That's the critique of a whole host of other naturals who think this is kind of an immature theory that even if we identified a psychological need for God, doesn't really tell us anything, all right? By the way, some Christian philosophers have looked at this and said, if there is a psychological need for God, guess who put it there? God. I don't know if I buy that argument either, but that's their view. Have an expansive view of God, not a little God. A God who's so big that he can work through everything. His creation includes everything, including maybe the psychology that's in us. Yes? Couldn't you also, instead of saying that we're, we have a psychological need for a god, wouldn't we, can't we replace that with like a professor or a doctor or a scholar or someone that we look up to that knows more than us? Yes, and in actually one of the other critiques of this theory is that even in older cultures where there were people to look up to, there were usually wise people, there may be priests, what we would think of as the medicine man type of archetype. Still though, those people were pointing to something outside of themselves. They were still trying to lead people. Even their power came from a connection that they said they had with this supernatural being. So even there, it doesn't seem like we have evidence that it just somehow we just need it. We're always looking outside. All right, here's another one. The evolutionary theory. This theory has actually received some serious play, lately especially. 
from evolutionary biologists. We could go into it for a long period of time, but Richard Dawkins, who recently wrote The God Delusion, believes strongly in this theory. There are two sides of this theory, but let me just explain to you what it basically says. Again, for those of you who don't have an autotoph, it's, just, it's a survival mechanism. Okay? It comes down to this. Somehow, over all the iterations of mankind, those who developed religious belief somehow survived, and those who didn't died out. Because religion helps people. So even naturalists who don't believe in God find that there's helpful benefits to religion. What are some of those helpful benefits? I'll give you the shortcut fast. It's, they believe sometimes religion got people into community, to organize together, to share, not to be so selfish, to enforce a moral code, maybe to enforce like rules. So those communities did better. And people who kind of all fought for themselves or didn't care about the community for some reason, those people died out. So over time, there's a genetic predisposition to religion that has survived in humanity. And that's what drives us to want to always be looking for something spiritual. Do you think it's true that most people seem to want to be looking for something spiritual? Do you guys agree with that statement? Do you think people are driving towards something spiritual most of the time? Joe? When people get into trouble, like when you realize you can't do it on your own, Yeah. People don't want to be held accountable, so they just want to be their own god and do what they want to do. Like, they don't want to have any rights or wrongs, they just want to do what they want to do. Do you think that that really means they don't believe in a higher power, or they don't believe in a certain higher power? Philip? I would say, I mean, maybe it's just the culture I'm in, though, as well. I would say that a lot of people believe, quote-unquote, in something, but it's not really real to them. And so, like, they don't really. And so, like, I would argue that, yeah, that most people don't have a spiritual like or religious trait to them because it's just sort of something that everybody else does or okay I think that's probably true in my experience now it may be a god of their own invention that's true I've met so many people who say well you know I don't really believe in this but I do believe and they'll start to just tell you what they believe well, I would say the vast majority of people believe this again not my conclusion the whole reason there's an evolutionary theory of religion is because even people who believe there's nothing out there observe that most people seem predisposed to believe in something and are in constant search for something. Now, maybe as Ryan points out, a lot of them end up making their own thing and being satisfied with it. So they're not really seeking anymore. Or they made something just to satisfy that need just a little bit. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't know if there's a God, but I kind of pray once in a while just in case there's something there. You know, make up their own view of what God is. These evolutionary theorists are split. Some people think there's a defect in your genes, kind of a mutation. Somewhere along the way, we mutated and got this religious gene. And that's what drives us to want to know what's out there. Because we're deluded by that gene. That's actually the majority of the people right now in the evolutionary camp. That's why Richard Dawkins' book was called The God Delusion. And he's joined by another guy named Daniel Dennett. They have a little different approach, but their idea is there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong genetically that we would believe in a God. And that's what drives us to sit in a room like this on a Sunday instead of just going out and eating, having fun. The other camp believes that maybe we adapted that way. They go back to that whole theory of communities that believed in God survived and they learned to adapt because it imposes a code on all of us, whatever it is. And they're fighting amongst each other like everybody else in philosophy and theology and everything else, right? Can never have a uniform belief. All right. Those are two theories that are out there from a naturalistic point of view. I just have a question on that, like just how it was written. Would the evolutionary theorists say that like, monotheism was a more 
evolution, so like people who believe in polytheism were like backwards with evolutionary. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. They actually believe there's an evolution also in the way that what they call primitive cultures developed into more mature beliefs about God. So they start with just a spiritual force, that primitive cultures were just aware of something that was a spiritual force, that developed into animism, like an actual belief in spirits, like whether it was like spirits of nature or ancestral spirits of some kind from their ancestors, that developed into polytheism and then matured into monotheism. And one of the critiques I have of this is, I don't know why they, well, let me tell you the critique. The critique is this is filled with presuppositions. One of which is, I, I like you, I'm not sure that monotheism is better than polytheism. I mean, we believe it's better because God says there's one God. But if you were just looking at this objectively, like I don't know why a society is better off with one God than many. Now, I'm sure somebody's done research on that. There's some book in your Christian bookstore that'll tell you why one God saved all of you know, history. But they're making that presupposition. They're just looking, saying that that was a maturity that occurred. I don't know that that's necessarily true. You know, I don't know why that has to happen. In fact, as you'll see in a moment, other people believe it's the other way around. I also think there's a big presupposition that religion helped primitive culture survive. And what they call primitive culture, by the way, in most of these cases, is kind of also a, a presupposition. Because some of these cultures were very advanced, and yet they still believed in sort of kind of an animism and a spirit worship. But that doesn't mean they were primitive. But they defined them as such just by the way they worship. So I think there's a lot of problems with just the assumptions they made to get to these theories. But I want to just show you that there are some naturalistic views. Because a lot of us in the church, the first time you hear about other religions, the first thing you hear is, yep, that's Satan. It's like, okay, we're going to get there. But let's just make sure that when you're talking to people and having a discussion with somebody, they might just observe that a lot of people have an interest in spiritual things. And you might ask them, well, why is that? Why do you think that is? Is it because there really is God out there calling us to him? And they might say, no, nah, it's like some gene defect in all of us. Go, really? Interesting. Well, at least now you know what that's about, all right, so that we can at least be better equipped to talk about it. Let's go to more, oh, by the way, just for those of you who just want to focus on those two words, this, this summary. It's all psychological. It's a survival mechanism. Got it? Getting a lot of complaints. We're getting too heady in here. All right. Let's talk about the Christian views. Just a couple of them for you to look at. As Christians, where do we believe that religion originates. We're not just talking about Christianity here. We're not talking about the, like God revealing himself in the Old Testament. We're talking about just, is there a Christian answer to why are there so many religions all over the world? And some of you have actually asked this question afterwards. Like, if there's all these other religions that we're going to talk about, how did they get there? Like, why is there, whether it's Tao or Buddhism or Hindu, like, why did these things develop? Or what you're really maybe asking is, why did God allow these things to develop? I don't know that we're going to answer that part right now, but it'll give you a backdrop to start to wrestle with it. Here's the first one, why we believe there's religion. Uh, probably because God revealed himself, we have divine revelation to begin with. Let me show you how that gets played out. Here's just a couple examples of God's divine revelation. I mean, we know that he created humanity. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are created in the image of God. There should be that step of revelation, that clue that 
we have a connection to the divine because the divine created us in his image. And there's got to be echoes of that no matter how you slice it or dice it in all of humanity. How about the creation of the physical universe? Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what was made so that men are without excuse. We often sing like the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. What we're really saying is that we can see God, the creator, in his creation. So we have a clue. Paul goes that step further that man is without excuse because since the creation of the world is there, we can see the attributes of God in our world. So it shouldn't surprise us that God in his divine revelation of who he is, people get a clue. There's something out there. Scripture. That goes without saying. God reveals himself through Scripture. Again, if you believe the Bible is God's word and you read it, you think, I think there's something out there. At a minimum, you should get that theme. If you haven't gotten that theme, you should start again. The incarnation of God in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus reveals, he's pointing to God, he's pointing to himself, he's pointing that the Holy Spirit would come and testify about him. So there's that revelation. And of course the Holy Spirit, just one among many verses, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So at a top level, Christians, we believe in at least a divine revelation. That's why there's religion, a search for God all around the world, because it began that way. Here's a second theory that Christians put forward. That humans are trying to fill in the gaps based on the original revelation of God. There's a number of ways to look at this. If it's true and you accept that all life began in the garden where God interacted with humanity and said, hi, it's me, until they screwed it up. But even afterwards, he continued to interact with the earliest of our ancestors. Would it be strange to think that as people scattered and went to different parts of the world, they took that knowledge with them? Maybe it was incomplete knowledge, but it was at least from a common source. Again, that's if you accept the Christian worldview. That's where it began. So it shouldn't be strange that we would find similarities, that we would find just a knowledge that there's something out there, because if we believe God began it all and interacted with mankind right from the beginning, then we had that common knowledge right from the start. Some of you have been confused by some things, and you've asked, like, was like the religion of the Hebrews like the first form of monotheism? Or wasn't there other religions? Like, can you talk about Zoroastrianism? And I've heard from my professor in college that there were other religions that were monotheistic first. I don't know that that matters too much. If you believe the Genesis account, God told them, it's me, here I am. And if that knowledge filtered out into all different other kinds of communities and different religious practices, that wouldn't be strange. That's one of the reasons this kind of, Philip, your critique pointed out a little bit, it seems like, I don't know why there's a step that the evolution would be from polytheism to monotheism. It seems from practice, as we'll see in a second, it might have been the other way around that people might have known there was one God and then decided to worship many. 
They went the other way. Comment? I'm just I'm, I'm clear. The, these are Christian views on the origin of all religions, Christian religions? All religions. They would say that Christianity came as a direct line, right? Is, is because Scripture reveals it. Is? Yeah, okay. that's what the first one is. This one starts to posit now, what about all those other religions? Okay? And what happens here is that if there's that remnant, that root of truth in some of these other people, as they spread around, maybe the theory is that they forgot a lot of it. Because they didn't have the, the, the direct revelation that was happening, let's say, when God chose Israel and said, I'm going to communicate to you and to the people around you. Maybe these people ended up somewhere far away, like some people would say, like in China or India or somewhere else. But they took enough with them that they knew there was something, and then they had to fill in the gaps to make up the rest, to kind of recover what some of that was. Let me give you some examples. You don't have to read all these. This is just to show you that there's a guy, and I actually recommend his book. It's Winfred Corden, who's actually put together nine things that ancient cultures seem to have in common about their god. And he is trying to show that there was a god, not gods, in many of these cultures. Let me just give you a couple of examples of them in case they're too small to read. He said that many, many ancient cultures had this notion of their god. He's a personal god. He's referred to in the masculine. He lived in the sky. He had great knowledge and power. He created the world. He had, the, he had standards of good and evil. Human beings were creatures of God and expected to live by the standards. Human beings were alienated from God when they failed to follow the standards. And God provided a means of overcoming this alienation. A lot of them involved sacrificing animals on an altar made of stone. Now, I'll tell you in fairness, a lot of people are critiquing his work, just like anybody would critique anyone's work and should be critiqued. And it's a little bit new to withstand a lot of heavy criticism. So I don't want to just tell you like, hey, he's solved it, he's found out this stuff. But here's what's interesting if you believe his theories. He goes back into some of the most ancient cultures that are polytheistic in our recent memory and finds that they originally were monotheistic. Listen to the description of some of the gods of these people. For example, the Santal people of India, they worshiped Thakurji, and he was a genuine god who had created all things. Now, the Santal people are polytheistic, but their original god, their original writings, they had one god. These people in Ethiopia, again, polytheistic, but originally they believed in Magano, the one omnipotent creator. The Incas of South America, they believed in Viracocha, the Lord, the omnipotent creator of all things originally, before they became polytheistic. In the Chinese culture, before Taoism, Buddhism, they had a worship of Shang-Ti, the Supreme Lord. Here's a description of Shang-Ti. All things are made by him. All punishments and reward are ultimately traceable to him. The creator of all and the lawgiver. He was never to be represented by an idol. He was the Lord of heavens. In Samaria, in Egypt, same thing. They worshipped a god before they became pluralistic, known as An. One, the maker of all things, the spirit, the hidden spirit, the maker of spirits. He existed in the beginning when nothing else was. What is created he made after he came into being. By the way, this is a quote from one of their scripture in their Psalms. No man knoweth how to find him. His name is a mystery and is hidden. His names are innumerable. He is truth. He lives on truth. He is the king of truth. He is life. Through him man has life. He gives life. He breathes life into man's nostrils. He himself is existence. He doesn't increase or decrease. He made the universe, the world, what was, what is, what shall be. He rewards his servants who acknowledge him and know him. He protects his followers. It can go on and on. In ancient India, same thing. Even before the Veda, 
one of the first versions of it. In the beginning, who was born the Lord, the sole Lord of all, who is made of the earth and formed the sky, who giveth life, who giveth strength, and he is the only God. In early Mexico, one God creator made a garden with eternal summer and flowing waters. God set a beautiful tree in the middle of the garden and ordered lesser people not to touch it. The lesser divinities disobeyed and attempted to ruin it. They were thrown out of the garden and given tasks to perform. Very interesting that if those, that kind of research continues and those theories hold up, and of course there's lots of people trying to debunk those theories because that would have lots of strange connotations for the naturalistic view, if it's shown that many ancient cultures began monotheistically and then digressed into polytheism over time. It means that maybe they had a recollection of the one God who interacted with humanity before they were all scattered in different places and kind of lost along the way. In every one of the examples I read, they had that monotheistic God and they kind of eventually forgot about it and adopted a polytheistic view. Another explanation that we give is that sometimes I think there's a good belief that humans just try to redefine their relationship with God. And this one probably goes closer to what we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks when some of you have asked questions when we've looked at Christian science or when we've looked at Scientology or Judaism. And you've looked at something that goes, you know, it had some, well, maybe not Scientology, it had some similar connecting points. Like when we looked at the life of Mary Baker Eddy last week, we talked about she came from a congregationalist background. If we had time to go into Jehovah's Witnesses, into Mormons, into other American religions that have sprung up, and there are many of them, that question keeps coming up. They seem to have a regular Christian background for some period of time, and then they had a need to redefine everything. Why is that? It seems that maybe it's just people want to redefine their relationship with God. Think about your friends for a moment and see if that rings true. Think about you for a moment and see if that rings true. Aren't there parts of scripture you'd rather just cut out? Aren't there things that we would rather just not do? Let's do a commercial like, are you tired of people telling you that you're a <laughs> sinner? Are you tired of the fact that original sin holds you down? Do you want to believe that you're a good person inside? Then come with me and join Christian science. You're not really here. <laughs> Do you hear the ache, though, in that kind of appeal? One of the things I notice when I study other religions is the number of them that affirm man's goodness. We seem kind of stranded on a desert island when we claim that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody's on that island with us. Nobody likes that claim. It either means we're totally wrong <laughs> or God has revealed something totally true that is countercultural and is counterintuitive to everything we would normally think. So how many of those other belief systems are constructed by humanity's need to build a worldview that suits our needs better? I would like to believe that I could attain God's status. I would like to believe that I'm not bad. I would like to believe that, I don't know if I'd like to believe we're not really here, but whatever the thing is, I'd like to believe something different maybe. Isn't that where some of this comes from? Just a question to throw out there. Because it seems like earlier Ryan's comment about just people wanting to do what they want to do, this one seems to come the closest for me that there are people who just feel like 
I don't want to believe this way. I want to believe this way because it suits me better. And maybe that's where a lot of these religions come from. Why does L. Ron Hubbard write Dianetics and want to change everything about the whole story of mankind? Why do people search and say there's a sense of nirvana that we need to approach and get to, as we'll be studying about? Let me read this verse, too. We read the first part of Romans 1.20, that man is without excuse because he knows and can see the glory of God revealed. But he goes on. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. In context in this part, he's speaking about specific people. But you know what? His statement still holds true in a lot of my experience. It seems like a lot of people, if they encounter the truth, they think, you know what? It's just not convenient in my worldview to believe in that. That's gonna, I don't like that. I don't like the sound of it. I want to reject it just because I don't want that to be true. Without ever investigating as to whether it is or not. The last one is wondering how much impact Satan has on the beginning of other religions. And I left this one for last because some of us start there. And I'm not saying that that's wrong in all cases, but we seem to be quick to jump on that one. And there is scriptural support for it. I'm going to read some of it. But I want us to be clear, too, that many times it's our own sinfulness that gets in the way. And a simplistic answer, like the devil made them do it, might not always explain more complex things that are going on when people are coming up with new beliefs and new faith systems. Because here's an implication, and listen to this one thing if you're nothing else. If it's true that we all came from God's presence originally, our ancestors did, that means that when we find rays of truth in other people's beliefs, we need to acknowledge those things. Because they're remnants of the truth that that culture may have carried from its original connection to God. In other words, when you interact with people who believe differently than you do, that doesn't mean that everything they believe in is wrong. It doesn't mean that there can't be any truth in something they believe. Because who is truth? Is it Christianity? Is that the truth? Jesus is the truth. If he is the truth, then where we find truth, we found a remnant, maybe more than that, of truth still there. Some people will point out the number of religions that have similarity to like the golden rule. And they're saying, ha, you see, Jesus didn't invent that. It's like, are we trying to patent the idea? Was he not speaking to us something that was always there in his word? Do we need to worry about who said it first? Wouldn't it still be truth no matter who said it? So when we meet other people from other faiths, it's very important because we jump to this one too fast sometimes. Satan was influencing those people. And I've heard it said a lot. Uh, if you look at Joseph Smith's background, he was an occultist. He might have been. You look at Mary Baker Eddy's background, you know, she was practicing mesmerism. Yeah, she might have been. But does that mean that if somebody says something true, that we would outright reject everything they say? Can't we build a bridge based on the truth that we have that may be still a remnant? And that applies to even religions that aren't from this country, like as we'll study in Islam, Hinduism, 
Buddhism. Look for those things too. Okay. Here's some scripture verses on the fact that Satan may also fuel and be very happy about other religions. From Psalms, looking back at the Exodus when the people in the desert continually worshipped idols. The psalmist says they worshipped their idols which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. That's Psalm 106, 36, and 37. In 1 Corinthians 10, 20, the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. Paul instructing that when you sacrifice to pagan gods, you're really sacrificing to demons. 1 Timothy 4.1, Paul speaking to Timothy, the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon their faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. 2 Corinthians 11.13-15, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So even though I'm quick to put up the hold that explanation in tow, there's great biblical support for the idea that many of the religions that we're studying may be behind them somewhere, if you believe these scripture verses, is Satan masquerading as an angel of light. He's actually fueling these things so that some of the supernatural things that other people and other beliefs have are actually things that are done by demons. I'm going to connect you to a point if you want to go to our website. The whole talk on spiritual warfare is there. There's like five or six weeks on spiritual warfare as a connecting point to this talk. And one of the things we talked about in depth is the way in which Satan lays out his game plan. You know that I'm not a person who walks around regularly talking about Satan, but that's been one of our errors of omission in the church, is a lot of us, people fall into two camps. Some people blame him for everything, and some people blame him for nothing. There's no real good middle ground of realizing that Satan wins every time one of us is distracted away from the truth. He has the easier job if he's playing a chess game. All he has to do is just keep us distracted by anything. So I think when other religions spring up or when people come up with their own ideas or invent their own gods, he's like, great, fantastic. Don't have to worship me. Just worship anything but Jesus and you'll be okay. I win. Does that bother anybody? How many people just accept that outright? Somebody should be pushing back. Yeah. Why? Because I need somebody to be bothered, so you're it. Is anyone bothered that, that I would make the claim that other religions are in part fueled by the fact that maybe Satan stands behind them and gives them power? Yeah. Well, potentially, like, because if you hang on to that view too tightly, then it just causes more disunity, and then, like, Satan's winning just because we are, like, putting him as responsible in a way. Yeah, I, I'm glad someone's putting Anyone else have a problem with it? Because Satan wins if we're just fighting amongst people as opposed to reaching out to them. And so here's the pun that comes to mind for me is, like, when we claim that other religions are fueled and are inspired by demons and Satan, we're demonizing them. I believe it's scriptural, but the attitude is what we have to watch. Because as soon as we make an easy delineation, like, well, that's just a, you know, that's just a Satan-led cult, we've absolved ourselves of any responsibility or effort to try to reach out to people or to try to reach specific people. 
And there's been a couple of examples, by the way, of churches even that have been classified as cults for over a hundred years. That because people continued to dialogue with them, woke up one day and realized, oh my God, we're a cult. And reformed their theology. I don't think that that would have happened if the entire church, which like 99% of it was, was just calling them a cult and demonizing everything that they did. A few people continued to try to work with them until they turned around. Yeah, John. I have to read a passage, if I could, John 8, 47, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who were in the process of rejecting him. So it's a little long. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now I'm here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Very interesting question. Because you are unable to hear what I say, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding the truth, but there is, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar from liar and the father of lies. And because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. So clearly we have an idea of where Jesus falls on that question. Yeah? Um, I was just thinking about it, like, what people of other religions think about the rest of the religions. Because in my experience, some seem to be a lot more accepting of truth in other religions, and Christianity is a generalization. Yeah, the answer to your question is most other faiths are much more accommodating in terms of their ability to coexist with others. Now, some of them believe that theirs is right. Christianity goes a step says ours is right and everybody else is wrong. Jesus makes an exclusive claim. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. There's not much ambiguity about the exclusivity of that claim. That's always been the most objectionable part of Christianity to other religions. Again, it's one of those things where it puts us on a desert island all by ourselves. Just like we're not alone, but we're the loudest on the, the exclusivity of Christianity. In today's parlance, we would say that's intolerant, it's bigoted, it's... You know, it's, it's a supremacist attitude, and you shouldn't then impose that on the world to try to proselytize everybody or believe that that's the only way. That's a generalization, but it seems that most other religions are much more accommodating and able to live with other religious expressions than it seems Christians have been. Okay, what do we do with this? I wanted you just to think through this because it is important how we talk to other people. I have sat through a lot of discussions in the church where people just say, Here's what's wrong with all these other religions, and it's the devil's behind it all. And you know what? I can't say that's wrong. And it may very well be from scriptural sources that the devil is behind some of this. But that doesn't absolve us of our opportunity to enter into sacred conversations with people. More and more, you're going to hear about this group called the New Atheists, like Dawkins and Dennett and other people like that. You know, philosophers have a field day ripping apart their credentials saying that they don't know what they're talking about. But you know what? Their books keep climbing the New York Times bestseller list. So whether the people know what they're talking about or not, these guys, they keep putting forth some of the arguments we looked at, the psychological argument, the evolutionary arguments, that you guys are all just deluded. You should at least know the arguments. You should at least know that people think that. So when you say something, quoting like a 1950s text from C.S. Lewis, like, well, how do you explain the God-shaped hole in our hearts? They're like, what? That's a genetic defect, you dummy you would at least know something about where they're coming from so that we can actually sit down with people and go, really? Do you really believe it's genetic? 
Do you really believe it's evolutionary? Do you really believe that there's an advantage to doing these things? It at least gives you a place to start. And if you're talking to people of other faiths, we can at least do it with gentleness and respect. We could do it in a way that starts to look for those little areas of truth. Remember, if you believe in the God of the Bible, he started it all with two people. It shouldn't surprise us that other faiths still have remnants of that there, and we should find those and affirm those. Not affirm the whole belief system, but just start in that manner rather than demonizing the whole thing right from the start. All right? Let's pray and wrap up. Lord, thank you for the gifts of our minds. Thank you that the people in this room have the opportunity to know who you are. But Lord, move us out of that comfort zone where we are right now. If we've known you for a little bit or we've known you for our whole lives, if we're just getting to know you, make yourself real to us in a way that moves us out of our comfort zone. Take us to a place where our knowledge of you is not just theoretical or academic. Lord, use this information that we're gaining here tonight, this wrestling, this thinking that goes beyond just our immediate needs so that we can start to reach out to other people who do not know you. Lord, you tell us that there are many, many people who will not get the chance to know you. Can we make sure that's not because we don't dare to discover about other religions and know enough how to sit down and have conversations with people? And Lord, we pray right now for all the people who don't know you. It's your Holy Spirit that draws people to say that you are the Lord. Spirit, may we never confuse our work with yours. Work in the hearts of all those people, Lord, we pray. In your precious name, amen.